Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another week. This is the Live Life Aggressively show. Sincere Hogan, that's me. Mike Mauler on the line. What's going on, my man? I'm doing good, and this episode is brought to you by Me Undies, the most comfortable. <laughs> you know, I thought like, you were going to say by me and Sincere. Well, aren't <laughs> aren't you, you so go glad undies that route. you don't have to hear stupid sponsor ads and pitches like that? Like you'll be in the middle of listening to someone's show, and it's like, you know what? I, you know what else makes me feel great? Me Undies. <laughs> you know? The show is like, we're, this is radio. We be underground. You know what else is under? Underwear. Like. Under. <laughs> In addition to getting some tiger nuts at Vitacost to increase your <laughs> testosterone, make sure your nuts are comfortable with me undies. <laughs> so, you know, aggressive, that, aggressive that, that tiger nuts episode got a very big response. <laughs> I, had, I had quite a few people say they went and bought some product. It's funny when people were giving me the descriptions. Yeah, like I found soaking the nuts made them more palatable. I was like, yeah, I bet you did. That's what she said. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure you're great at soaking your nuts. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we have a great guest today. We're going to introduce him in a second. But before we do that, just some shout outs to those of you that are not only benefiting from free content, you're benefiting from getting a discount using that coupon code LLA for listening to the show. So I'm no longer going to say you're supporting the show using that coupon code because you're getting a double whammy benefit. You're listening to great free content, and then you're getting a discount on great products. And the shout-outs are going to Charles Lenzel, Corey Burks, Jeremy O'Brien, Nathan Jenner out of Australia. We've got Ethan Dennis, John Smith, Tom Quinn, Joseph Almane, Ben Mattern also out of Australia, Tyler Quinn, John Rosen. Michael Catalyst and Joshua Wilson, they're all using that coupon code LLA. Get 10% off everything you see over at MikeMahler.com. And what's going on with you, man? Uh, I didn't put together a list, but you can get that same <laughs> discount <laughs> over at NewWarriorTraining.com. Use the same coupon code LLA, and you'll get the same discount. Yeah, how about you were, that? You were, you were too busy enjoying those me undies that, <laughs> that I had said over. <laughs> oh, well, cool, cool, man. We we had a great episode a while back where we talk, with Andrew Morrow where we talked about post-traumatic stress disorder. And one of our listeners really enjoyed that episode. He wanted to share his story, and he sent us a bunch of clips, which were really inspiring, really thought-provoking stuff. So we wanted to get him on the show ASAP. And we have Robert Consolmagno, otherwise known as Cosmo, on the line. How you doing, buddy? What's up, brother? How are you? It's great to have you, man. I'm doing great, man. It's uh, This is great. Uh, I love talking and uh, spreading my mission and cool. um, just doing right, man. Just trying to set an example. Yeah, you've, had, you've been through some tough stuff. You basically are dealing with PTSD and you're dealing with bipolar. Yeah, man, I have a double whammy, brother. Um, what, what exactly is bipolar? Right. I think there's a lot of confusion about that. Uh, you know, bipolar is like I'll be. I'm going to be honest with you. It's like one minute you're goody 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 with everybody, next minute you want to choke everybody out. Um, you get sounds like every woman I've ever known. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sounds like me in traffic sometimes too. <laughs> it's one of those things that um, you really don't see it till after something has happened. Mm. Um, I've severed a lot of relationships till, um, and then. Um, when I came forth with my story and everything like that, people cool with it and they know when I'm triggered or they know when I'm having that manic state. Typically, I'm more on the upside, which is the uh, the manic, euphoric, Superman-esque, whatever you want to call. Uh, I feel like I can run through a brick wall. And then there's moments when I'm down um, and uh, it's hard, man. They actually, back in the day, they called it manic depressive. Yeah, um, yeah. 
my father was, I guess, manic depressive, and then he became schizophrenic and took his own life. So, um, and being around violence for a very, very long time as a child, and going to the Marine Corps and serving the Marine Corps, uh, just you know, added on to it, and. Um, that's completely different. PTSD is post-traumatic stress, which means you've been exposed to a certain type of trauma. Mine was 100% of the time violence and fear of lashing back, that kind of thing. The bipolar, I, b- I believe it's predominantly just genetic. Um, a lot of Americans have it in the world. Some of your greatest stars in the world, um, actors. I was just um, about to bring that up. Yeah. I, can, I, can, I can bring up some names. You know, I mean, you look at somebody like a Robin Williams. Mm. I think the top of the world, man. I mean, that guy was the epitome of like, I mean, when you, the guy was just an amazing individual and he took his own life. Yeah. So, um, it's for me, I was in denial for many, 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 many years. Uh, I'm just a product of society. You know, I just, everybody goes through trials and tribulations, yada, 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 yada. But you know what? It, it, I come to grips with it. I go, man, you know, this is, I'm fighting the battle. And, um, sometimes I just want to be alone. Yeah, right. some days I like to be around people. And well, you it. went through some pretty traumatic stuff as a young kid. Your father committed suicide when you were ten, and then your stepfather was very abusive. Yeah, and I, I, listen, I you know I, where I grew up. I grew up in we call it Chill Town. It's uh, it's called Jersey City, New Jersey. I grew That's up. My in wife's room. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> so you know the deal. It's yeah. changed now. Now it's like a brownstone. I mean, it's it's amazing. <laughs> Back in the day. In the 70s and stuff, like, you know, it's kind of like I grew up in an all Italian neighborhood. Um, my neighborhood reminded me of a Bronx tale. You know, I've mm-hmm. done even saw that with De Niro. That's how mm-hmm. my neighborhood was. But there was a lot of violence and a lot of people kept their mouth shut with certain things. And there's people that I confide in today. They're like, oh, I didn't know it was that. Like, Come on, dude. You know it was bad. Right. Everybody right. avoided this guy. He was a big dude. And um, he was very abusive. I mean, I can tell you some crazy stories. It almost sounds fictional, like I'm making it up. But it's it's true. I would never. I mean, like the things that I've seen, I told people and the first thing that goes, holy, what the hell? You need to write a book. I'm like, that's my goal to eventually write a book, you know, but he um, was very abusive. I mean, he would just beat my mother up over a stupid hockey game or a football game. Uh, one, I never forget one day we're pulling up at the, uh, you know, the parking lot. We left the Rangers game. We get home. It was freezing. I'll never forget it because when you're a kid, everything's amplified. Right. right. And I'll stick to that because everything is amplified as a child. Um my mother couldn't open up the lock. He just went out of the car and just started pummeling her, beat her down, and her nose is bleeding and everything. Um, I've seen him beat a guy over a parking space uh, with a shovel and lay him out, and the cops didn't do nothing. Um, he had, I had a gun in my hand at 10 years old that he used to shoot my second – well, my mother's with three men, married to my real father who committed suicide who I did not know. Then she was with this other guy, my, my first stepfather, for about 13 years. He was the guy that was very – abusive and did all the violence and all that stuff. Um, you know, I mean, sh- he shot my other stepfather in the head and it was a 22. So the, the, the weapon, um, you know, the bullet grazed his skull. So it didn't do enough damage to take his own life. And he stood down on the ground after he did that. Then he took his own life with the same weapon in Moonaki, New Jersey. So, and, um, you know, my great, my, um, my grandfather, when I was a kid, he tried to, uh, molest me. And uh, my uncle, you know, got got to that. That didn't happen. I mean, he tried to touch me, and I never saw him again. So I was exposed to that. Um, but the violence was just horrible. There's more stuff added to that. Um, you know, when my mother broke up with him, you know, I didn't know. I mean, I'm 10 years old, man. I'm sitting in the car. You know, he took her to his old his place of work. He was a forklift driver, and he forced himself upon my mom against her will after they had broken up. So basically, you know, he raped my mom, and uh, she came in the car crying, and then she blamed me. You know 
bringing it like, you know, trying to stop. I'm 10 years old. The guy's two, yeah. six, four, 300 pound dude. Are you right. kidding me? So I had a lot of weight on me. And, um, you know, then at the Marine Corps is an escape. I'm going to tell you, you grew up in the hood. You know, I wasn't that kid that was just going to succumb to it. I was an athlete. I'm, I used the hood because that's where I grew up. You know, um, I played sports. Sports was my outlet, you know. Um, and um, I, the, the people I hung out in high school were always like, you know, I was always found myself attracted to hanging out with um, the people who were bullied and being their protector. My best friend was from Taiwan. His name is David Lee and everybody used to mess with him. But when I hung out with him, nobody, nobody tormented and messed with him. And we would actually get lunch and we would walk a mile away from the high school to get away from all the craziness to sit on the stoop and just talk about how beautiful life is and this and that. And I said, man, I'm going to become a Marine. I'm going to earn the title. I want to wear a dread, uh, you know, earn a set of dress blues like my um, my uncle. And because uh, he was my inspiration because he went through some stuff. I mean, his stuff, like my grandmother, you know, she had three children. I mean, four boys. You know, my grandfather died at a young age. So she used to beat him with electrical cords. Like, I mean, it was crazy, man. Like, you know, my uncle, my one uncle, uh, I have to mention this, you know, if he listens to whatever, but, you know, I got to talk about it. You know, I was a kid. I'm walking up the stairs in the laundry room. And I'm like, Uncle Mark, what's that on your back? That's good. He goes, oh, you're a, your uncle stabbed me in the back over a bike. Like, I grew, you know, I'm like, whoa, man, what? All this violence and aggression. I don't know if it's just because of that, that area or whatever. Um, but, you know, I channeled it. I, you know, I could have either succumbed and just complained and got involved with drugs or this and that. I went in the Marine Corps. I probably went in, you know, with the bipolar disorder. And um, for the first two, three, four years, I'll be honest with you, man, I was walking on eggshells. I was fighting every day. I mean, I say fighting. I was challenging higher ups. I didn't care if they were going to court martial me. They never court martial me. I went to an actual hearing. They dropped it because my SRB, that's your service record book, was clean. I mean, I was the epitome of what the Marine Corps wanted. I was the fastest guy, the strongest guy. I was a 300 PFT, um, you know, that kind of thing. I was never late. I was on time. They just thought I was just this arrogant kid. But meanwhile, I probably was fighting these demons or had this disability because it is a disability. Um, you know, I, I shouldn't have got past MEPS. That's actually that stands for, uh, I believe it's Military Interest Processing Station. Um, but back then, you know, even in the early 90s, you know, you could have a record and get in. When my uncle went in, you know, you, the, the, the judge said you're either going to become a Marine or go to jail. So it was even worse back in the 70s and the 60s. So, you know, it, you know, but go ahead. I mean, I don't know if you have any, any more questions. I can keep going. No, but no. But while, <laughs> while, this, while this whole bipolar yeah. thing is defined as genetic, I have to wonder how much is life experience as well, yes, at least nature, some aspect nature, of it being environmental. Yeah. It's got to be. Listen, yeah. I think it's got to be. Just, that. just listening to you, I can't imagine, and there's not a strong connection. Yeah. Um, I really, you know, I, I'm not a doctor, not a veterinarian, but I'll give you an example. You, you look at animals, man's best friend. You take, I'm just going to use, I love pit bulls. I love animals. I'm just saying, but they get the biggest rap. You know, people want to put these dogs down and this and that. And they're like, oh, they're vicious. I'm like, listen, to me, a pit bull falls in line with like a perfect specimen. They're highly intelligent. They will do anything to appease their, their owner, you know, but they have these beautiful bodies and athletic. Right, um, right. But the thing is, you look at a dog, sometimes, you know, they have these the therapists at the SPCA and stuff, and the dog is, quote unquote, is unrehabilitative. You know, they go through a certain protocol, they test it, the dog snaps. You can make the argument, we're all animals. Human mm -hmm. beings have a threshold. I might have that threshold, and that could be bipolar. So and I tell people, never judge a book by its cover because I look fit. You don't know what, 
what I went through. And, you know, well, I think in some ways you could have developed this bipolar, what's defined as bipolar as a defense mechanism to everything you've gone through. Okay. Okay. Or I can see on the flip side of that, I can see that some of the the stuff that happened to you actually enhanced what was already there genetically. Right. It just really brought it forth. You know, because you always had it there. It's kind of like a superpower. You know, it's just like you know these like these mutant superheroes or whatever they have in the comic books or whatever. They have this thing there, but then some tragedy, something happens where it's always been there, and it kind of wakes it wakes this sleeping giant, and it comes out. Oh my God. Um, Let me tell you something. What you just said totally confirms because let me tell. I get in these moods. I'm a big kid. I love comic books. My hero is the Hulk. Yeah. Because you look at Dr. David Banner, you see this frail man. And, I mean, listen, you might laugh when I say this, but I get a little a little tearjerker when I watch the intro from the 70s series because that depicts to me bipolar. It's like you won't like me when I'm angry. Right. You know, that kind of thing. And I turn into the Hulk. And you're right. It's that hidden thing. You know, it's well, like, that, that theme music gives everyone a little tear. Like I feel like I can run through a brick wall when I hear it. I'm like, oh, my God, I want to turn into the Hulk. Like when I was a kid, I used to think my eyes were going to turn green, but I, my eyes were black and blue from getting punched in the eye. Right. <laughs> I'm just playing around. But, uh, you know, I mean, um, that's the beauty of these these heroes is that you can live vicariously through them, you know, and you're right. Well, a lot of them are based off of, you know, a lot of these writers, they deal. This is their therapy for them. You know, they create these these characters and these storylines as a right. way. It's, it's a means for them to also deal with their own stuff. It's kind of like comedians. A lot of comedians get into comedy to deal with the, the stuff that they have going on in their head, man. And and uh, the therapy that they didn't want to go sit on a couch and deal with. And a lot of the things that you're saying right now, I can really relate to because, you know, the reason why I can say that, you know, it's a sleeping giant because genetically, you know, I have a lot of people in my family who have have mental issues, you know, from schizophrenia to bipolar wow. to manic wow. depression. All of that. But the fact is, you know, growing up, it's like my grandmother always let me know. She didn't try to hide and shield me from these things and for those family members. She wanted to let me know that it's here. It's there. And it's kind of like the people that try to blame, like in, in our industry, who try to blame being overweight on genetics. You know, well, OK, here's the thing. If you know it's in your family, you know, you got to take an extra effort to shield yourself from becoming a part of that statistic. And so right. it's the same thing growing up. I mean, I actually saw one of my aunts. You know, just like once my father was murdered, she just lost it, man. And I remember walking in and seeing her getting exercised. You know, it wasn't like a movie or anything. It was like, yeah, but it was it was crazy. It's like, wow. And I just sat there and everybody was trying to, like, you know, leave the room and they were just, you know, scared and all this. But I remember standing in that doorway and watching and just I don't know. I just it was something fascinating about it to me because I was like, wow, this is not a movie. This is real life. This is actually happening right now. And to watch you get exercised, man, I was like, wow, this is. This is, you know, I, I can say now, you know, this is crazy, you know, but, but now I look back, it's just like, wow, dude. And from that point on, you know, I just made a point. I don't know. It's just something just overhearing conversations from the adults in my family, you know, because so and so kept it all in. And, you know, they they, they didn't want to deal with this and want to deal with that. For some reason, eight years old, I picked up on it and I always said to myself, I'm not holding anything in, man. I'm letting everything out, you know, and I've always tried to find a way to deal with things and find an outlet whether it's training you know you know now as a fire instructor just go to the range and let some off down range or whatever else man and you know from martial arts anything right. man just you know let not hold that stuff in because i don't want to awaken that sleeping giant that i know i have genetically it, that's wow. already there you know wow. and so that's what it reminded me of when you said that it's like so many things that you said i have parallel going on with my family as well i mean from the grandmother getting right. <clears throat> i mean getting beat with you know my mom and all them getting you know with things with uh, you know extension cords and, and yeah, you know yeah, my yeah. grandmother's you know mom pretty much like she, when they're about to get whipped she's running and my great-grandmother picks up a brick and just hits my grandmother 
to stop her from wow. running so she can get a whip. And I'm like, I hear these stories. I was like, whoa. But again, like you said, I don't know if it was just something about that era or what. I mean, this is talking about the 30s and all that. It's a different yeah. time period, man. And, you know, it's just these kids would have no idea. They get put in time out. They have a fit. You know, they don't understand, like, why are you doing this to me? I'm like, you have no idea what some of your parents and grandparents and all them went through for punishment. Like, go sit in that corner and just be quiet. He's <laughs> like, you have no idea. Yeah, so. it's, um, <laughs> I agree, man. I mean, you, I, I just, you know, I go, I, you know, with things going on today, I'm like, and I hate to say these kids are weak or meek, but, you know, I don't think anybody should get, I mean, I got, I was in a body cast at six years old. I remember walking up the stairs and he kicked me down a flight of stairs. And then he broke my right arm when he when I got in trouble one time. He tried to throw me and he put a chicken with me. He threw me halfway across the room and broke my arm. And I remember as a kid in, in school, um, I was monitored by what's called the child study team because back then, you know, the DIFUS wasn't as you know it was a lot harder to get your kids taken away. But they would check on me to make sure I, you know if I wasn't bruised as much, whatever. My mother covered up a lot of stuff. And um, my uncles wanted to take us away because he was a Marine and he lived in Virginia. And uh, wanted to put us like, you know, give us a better life. But she was too stubborn. And we, me, I hate to say, it, but she made us go through more, especially me. I, I don't know why I was the one that got the most the brunt. Maybe it's because I was kind of like more of the black sheep and was more of the fighter. Um, but you look back and you go, man, this, why me? But I can't change the past. Like, all I can do is push forward and um, harness. Well, when, when did intense physical training and then jujitsu become your therapy? Well, I'll be frank with you, man. The intense training has always been there, but I was walking around like a nomad. Like I, I just didn't know why I was training so much. But I would have to say about five, six years ago is when I actually found grounding or people saying, coming up to me in the gym, they're like, hey, man, you trained like a, are you a fighter? I'm like, nah, I just love to train. Um, and I would just kill myself to the point of exhaustion because when you're manic, you can't sleep. That thing, and then I decided to take a jiu-jitsu class, and boom, here I am five years later. I'm close to my brown belt. Um, you know, I was number one in the world in no gi, which is, you know, without the gi, the kimono, for six months straight. Um, you can't win everyone. I've lost a couple here and there. You know, it happens. Um, that's the beauty of jiu-jitsu is it's very humbling. And well, just, well, just adding on what you said about training, you're getting yourself exhausted to tire yourself out. I, I, I always say that intense training is one of the best ways to stay out of trouble because if you work out hard, you're too tired to do anything else. You may you may say, I'm going to go down here and do this. Okay, go get a workout in first. Chances are you're not going to go – you're not going to want to go do that self-destructive behavior afterwards. Right. Um, what I tell people is I make a joke. They're like – Man, you train so hard. Like, I'll go out and hang out with some of the guys, you know, and they'll be like fooling around me. And they're like, come on, man. You know, they'll try to grab me and do stuff. Like, you're a beast. And I'm like, and I, and I go, ah. And they go, dude, what's wrong with you? I'm like, dude, I train so hard that I can't even move right now. I make jokes. I'm like, man, I'm going to be at 7 Eleven one day. Some dude's going to start me and I'm going to wind up being because I can't fight back. Because I train that hard. I think about that too. Sometimes after a heavy squat day, I was like, "Man, I hope t- I hope today is not the day that I get drunk." Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'm not going to be able to run out of the situation as quickly. I'm not going to be as but I'm not going to be able to defend myself as as easily as normal. But isn't that nuts? Though you sit there, you go, "Man, I train so hard not to fight, but somebody's going to start me. I'm going to be a YouTube phenom. Jiu-Jitsu fighter gets laid out." But, but because because you train so hard, though, you put on a, you have a certain aura that makes you less likely to be a target. I'm not saying that it's 100 percent foolproof, but you're definitely less likely to be a target. I hear you, man. It's just an energy you put out. People pick up on that. Great. Um, 
Yeah. So, I mean, um, man, you know. Um, but but how, how is jujitsu in particular? It seems like that's been the most therapeutic part of this whole story, not just the intense physical training, but something about jujitsu in particular. Let me tell you, what the beauty of jiu-jitsu is, like, I, I'll give you an example. I boxed, and I went, I did Ringside Worlds, which is a very huge tournament. I mean, I didn't know it was that big. Uh, when I got there, my coach was like, bro, this is Ringside Worlds, man. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, Worlds? Like, the best dudes? He's like, yeah. So I thought this was, like, just, like, some, you know, I thought Ringside, I'm thinking, like, you know, a smaller tournament. Make a long story short, I got in there. When that bell rang, I went, oh, my God. I can't believe I'm fighting this guy. The guy who beat me has 20 years experience and five world champions on. One of them is on Showtime. He comes up to me. He goes, hey, champ, you, you're great. And I go, this guy being um, sarcastic? He goes, dude, how long have you been training? I said, eight weeks for this fight. He goes, bro, I've been training for 20 years. You're an animal. Stick with it. My head hurt for a week. Now, the jiu-jitsu. What I love about the jiu-jitsu is that you can be pushed and you can tap uh, and your ego is out the door immediately. There's always somebody in jujitsu who's going to circumvent your game and take advantage. You know, I hate to say take advantage, dominate you. Right. Uh, I train with animals. 21 year old, uh, this 21 year old brown belt I train with. It's like you know, I think I'm pretty decent, you know, for an older guy, but it's like he's playing with a baby, and um, I love it because it keeps me in check. Like what's his name was just saying. He was saying, you know, he doesn't want to let that hope to come out. So he, you know, that demon. The beauty of jiu-jitsu is when I feel like I'm be turning into that and I'm like, oh, I'm invincible, I go to class and get smoked. And that keeps me in check. And I go, well, I'm not the baddest dude on the planet. <laughs> you know, because that's what bipolar is sometimes. You get so manic, you're like, I'm going to set a world record. I'm going to do this. Now, I can do that. <laughs> but the thing is, though, the average person who might, they're like, you think you can do certain things that are kind of really unrealistic. Right, you have this inflated yeah. view of yes. your ability. So you talked about how when you were in, a, in a, had a sales job, you made a bunch of money and you you yes. wanted you want a trip to Vegas and you just blew everything there. Yeah, right? and here's, here's a co- common story here. <laughs> here's another thing. There's other things about bipolar that you don't really hear about. The people that have come out and talked about it, but they don't talk about. It. I'm going to talk about two other things: money and sex. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. My sex drive, even at 43 years old. Is like a 16-year-old, and I try not to go out as much. I try to chill out because when I was younger, man, whew, I hate to say it, but I, I mean, I would be like a pinball machine. Don't don't Except, move, don't move to Nevada, Robert. Uh, I lived in Nevada. <laughs> I told you, did I tell you? Oh, that's right. No, no, I read that story. I, I, I heard that story where you said you just drove out here and then you found someone on Facebook to <laughs> live with. Yeah, but here's the thing. That's like, pretty dangerous, what? right there. First of all, first of all, I don't know if I would want to live with someone I found on Facebook, but I would, I would be even more skeptical if they want me to live with them. You know? <laughs> so I woke up one day and I woke up one day. I'm like. In my moods, I guess I was one like – I was like, F this, F this. I'm like, there ain't nothing wrong with me. I'm going to live a better life. So then I did. I drove, drove to Vegas. I remember crossing you over. You drove last, to Vegas from where? From New Jersey? From, from New Jersey. Wow. In <laughs> <laughs> this little Nissan with like 200,000 miles, bro. And uh, I show up and I'm like – I pull up and I live I've, in a Summerlin area because that's where I want to live because Summerlin is kind of like a little bit of a nicer area. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Off Tropicana or whatever it might be, whatever. It's been a while. It was, that was in 2008, I think. So, you know, you go on Facebook and Craigslist. I find this guy as I'm pulling a parking lot. I get a hundred bucks. <laughs> it's Craigslist, man. Come on. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't end up chained in a dungeon somewhere. Like the story's all types of wrong. This is a Hollywood movie ready to be made, man. So <laughs> or a Lifetime special. Like, you can so, come on. You can come live with me, boy. Come on. Yes. So, so I'm sleeping on the floor. I wake up the next day. And you know, you know, when you think of Vegas. Chained and gagged. <laughs> no, I was when you're in Vegas, who do you think of if you love UFC and martial law? I'm like, 
I'm going to fucking train with goddamn uh, with um, uh, Randy Couture. <laughs> right, right. So I'm, I'm going to hit the speed bag. I'll never forget Randy's son. I used to come in and they, they had a nickname for me, the machine gun, because I'd be on a speed bag for two hours destroying the speed bag. <laughs> and they, I'll never forget Wanderlei Silva coming upstairs and giving me the two thumbs up. Some of these MMA fighters were the nicest guys in the world. Oh, yeah. And I just wanted to be around them. That's all I want to do is I just want to be around them. I don't know why I was drawn and that, that place always has a who's who, Extreme Couture. Because so I taught oh, yeah. a few courses there. And wow. during, during the breaks, you would just look out the window and see who's training. And you see Forrest Griffin down there and Gina yes. Carano and all kinds yes. of people. Yeah. Yo, you want to hear something crazy? Gina Carano walked by me one day and I'm like, oh, my God, she's, you know, I'm just going to say, I'm like, what a beautiful woman. She can bang. She's off the hook. So I'm in, I used to tr- lift, uh, lift and train and do my jump rope routine in Las Vegas Athletic Club. And I never forget, Forrest Griffin was uh, hanging out and he was watching me jump rope like a maniac. He was like, holy crap, because I could, you know, I could jump rope pretty good. And I just got back from Europe training with the world's best female jump roper in the world. And we shot a video that's going to go viral soon. Uh, but also I want to touch on, I don't know if you knew, but my great-grandfather is a Hall of Fame boxer. Did you know right, that? Right, right. Yeah, that's in one of your interviews. Yeah. Well, uh, real quick on him, 175 fights. Um, he was around in the twenties to the late thirties. He fought 175 fights, uh, won the belt in three different divisions from flyweight up to heavyweight. He sparred, um, you know, Max Schmeling who knocked out Joe Lewis. Yeah, yeah sure. My great grandfather sure. mauled him and got kicked out of his camp. Mm. Now here's another one for the Brown bomber sparred my, uh, my great grandfather and tried to lay the wood to him. My great grandfather dropped him. He got chased out by, uh, guys with guns in Detroit when they were training, he was training with Chappie Blackburn. And he left his suit during the Great Depression, and my grandmother hit him with a wooden spoon. <laughs> I'm done. Back then, he worked. you had to work. He worked, and he boxed yeah. sometimes two, three times a week. So you get back, and you go back to your roots. You go, man, why do I want to be around this stuff? I really don't like the fight, but I like being in this martial art, and I want to, I, I love the actual training aspect. Right. And I'm the nicest right. guy in the world. If somebody said to me, you want to fight in the street? I'm like, I want to fight you, man. I'm walking away. Have a drink. You know, Let's go get a cup of coffee. Right. When, I'm, when I'm in the ring or I'm doing whatever, the beast mode kicks off. That's it. I, I don't want nothing to do with that. I well, I, I think uh, I think part of the reason why you're so low key walking around is because you're exercising all of those demons yes. out through your training. Right. And hey, let's get back to this Gina Carano story. I was waiting exactly. for the punchline there. Man. Well, I mean, it's, really, it's really not just a story, but the thing is, here's a guy. Here's a guy. You know, I was, what, 38 years old, whatever it was, you know, and you just sign a little contract and you're around these these guys that, and you're like, and you're looking at them, you're like, and you're watching them look at you because yeah, there's a little bit of a fear. I mean, these guys are professional fighters and you see her and she was at the top of her game back then. Right. And she just would smile, you know, just smile at me. And I'm like, smile back. And I'm like, I was afraid to say hello, but Randy shook my hand once, but his son, I talked to his son a few times. Yeah, Ryan Couture. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. You know, he used to sit at the front desk. And unfortunately, I had an outbreak in Vegas, and um, they probably still might have my contract. I don't know. It's been so long. But uh, the VA, uh, this was in the early stages before they allowed me to do as this, this therapy. They made me cease and desist uh, training. So I had to cancel my contract with oh. them, and they understood because I had to show my 100% award letter, yada, yada. And I said, look, man, they, they don't want me fighting and this and that. And they said it's bad. Um, why, but why, I, did, why did you have to cease and desist training? Because he said it was amplifying – for some apparently that he thought it was amplifying episodes and making me even more, you know, you get better at fighting. Now he says he thought he was, I'm going to go out and start, you know, being homicidal or whatever. But in reality, I wasn't, but they made me stop. 
And then um, I left Vegas, and then I, I was all over the place, man. I lived in Chicago twice. I lived in Minnesota, Florida. Uh, but in Florida and Tampa is when I got involved with jiu-jitsu. And I guess because there's no trauma, like there's no punctures, the, the VA was a little adamant at first. Well, you, now, when you were, in, you were in Florida, you ended up in the hospital for a couple of days, yeah, too, right? How, what happened there? Oh, man. I was just sitting in my apartment, and I remember waking up. And periodically, I still have these panic wake-ups where, like, I'll just panic and, like, and I, and I have my dog, but I didn't have a dog at the time. I just woke up and it was dark and I just freaked out and I got in my car. Like, there was no thought process and I just drove to the hospital. I walked in and I'm just like, I just want to, I just need somebody to cool me down, talk to me. And next thing you know, I'm talking and their way of saying, you're not leaving was like, we think you should stay. And I just stood and next thing <laughs> you know, I was in there for two days and Man, I, I guess you could say that's so like kind of a rock bottom, but it, in my eyes, it was more or less like, man, you really have to, to fix this, or not necessarily fix, but try to battle this because you can't fix something that, you know, there's no cure for bipolar disorder or PTSD, whatever it might be. Um, but I, I got out of there, and that's when I went into um, overdrive, like as far as training. And I took that jujitsu class, and then with that first year, I competed eight times as a white belt, and I won everything. Got my blue belt, and I trained with Marcio Cruz. Um, I don't know if you know who he is, but Marcio Cruz was in the UFC. Um, he's a legend in, in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He beat everybody. He beat Marcelo Garcia. He beat Roger Gracie. He beat them all. Wow. Um, and to get my blue belt from him, and then I panicked there. I just kind of left without even really telling them. And, you know, um, man, I burned some bridges even in the Jiu-Jitsu community a little bit because I was afraid to tell people that, you know, I had these demons. And now they all know, and um, they respect it. And um, now I'm, I'm in a good place here in Pennsylvania. Uh, I'm on under Actos Jiu-Jitsu, which is another major big. Uh, it's, it's a huge affiliation of Jiu-Jitsu. They're like, you know, you got your top three teams. You got Actos, you got Alliance, you got a couple other ones out there. Your Henzo's team, Henzo Gracie, um, but Actos, you know, they're huge in Cali, and those guys, you know, they pretty much dominate on the West Coast. Um, and I go to class and I train with some beasts, and these beasts keep me and keep my beast that's embedded inside of me. Um, contained. It's more like, you, do you think it's more like a mutual respect for the fact that a lot of fighters themselves have their own demons they're fighting? And that's the yeah. reason why they got into fighting and got yeah. into martial arts to contain. It's, it's just like, it's kind of like a kindred, right? There's some type of, it's a brotherhood and sisterhood. Because rarely do you ever find any that's like, oh, no, I never had to deal with any, any kind of stuff. You know, I just, you know, I'm a middle class kid and, you know, I just like martial arts. Whereas the majority of these guys you see, they had some stuff that happened, man, abuse and, and and trauma and loss and all that and this was just a way to kind of just contain all that man or to work through it but at the same time there's such a respect when you go inside of a dojo that you know like okay look yeah you're coming and you're working that out but at the same time you're going to show respect and right. it's probably one of the most effective ways of having someone who's dealt with issues just say they come from a really bad place to actually understand respect and i, I don't know in my opinion it seems like you have a lot of more, a lot more, let's say, father figures and family there compared to your actual blood relatives who've probably done some things to you, and you never thought that you could ever have family again. It's kind of like some of the reasons a lot of kids join gangs because yeah. they, they need to feel like they belong, and I right. think that's one of the biggest things that helps out there. What do you think, man? Do you think it's the same thing? I agree, oh, man. We have a lot in common, bro. Like we coincide, concur, whatever you want to call, one hundred percent concurrence. Because I'll tell you what, there's a camaraderie I don't, I'll never get. Let me tell you, my family. And I'm sure maybe your family, they don't get it. You know, they, like my brother, he went through some stuff and his way is keeping it under the table yeah. and trying to, you know, fake the funk I call fronting, but I speak up. 
I can't. I well, can't. That's, that's the majority no. of people, whatever yeah. their issue yeah. is, just yeah. bury it deep, put it under the carpet, and right. try to hold it there. Right. Um, and, you know, when I go, when you go to these, like, martial arts, like you said, my, my idol is, like, I love, it's Bruce Lee, man. Like, yeah. you know, I love, I, mean, I, I want to cry when I watch his stuff because, like, it's so inspirational and, and, and his quotes and seizing life and, you know, you only live once, man. Like I, every day that I live, I go, man, I got to do some stuff. I want to send, I want to be on Wikipedia. Like I want to leave a legacy. I need a legacy. I want to be that guy. Forget about that. Like use my past, harness it, channel it, use it as fuel. And then when you get there, help other people along the way to come out of the shadows. And that's why I want to speak because the, the emails that I get, no, everybody, listen, a lot of these people, you know, and they're, Black, I know some black belts, man. I'm talking black belt killers in jiu-jitsu that have depression, but they won't come out, man, because of the blacklash. And I'm like, dude, you need to come out and talk about it. No one's perfect. We all have it. But I'm their spokesman, you know, and it's great. They can choke me out 10 ways every day, but they look up to me because I'm that guy who's just – I'm just willing to come out and take the heat if that's the case. Well, it's like you said in one of your interviews, any man who doesn't cry, he's crying the most. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's that's it, that's kind of epidemic of that. I think sometimes people want to live up to the false expectations of others. So someone looks at you and goes, "Oh, you've got such a perfect life," and you know it's not true, but you're trying to live up to that expectation. I had people tell me, uh, you know, question my disability. Listen, I don't talk about my physical ailments. I have hearing, hearing loss. I had four operations on my legs. I had vein stripping. Um, I almost had a pulmonary embolism. My, I had uh, some kind of problem from being in the Marine Corps, working 16-hour days in boots. I worked in a warehouse, so I had no circulation in my legs. I don't tell people about that because that, you know, I got that surgery done. You know, I deal with the knee pain and stuff like that. I put my body through so much trauma. Some days I can't get out of bed, but I'm not going to stop what I'm doing because I'm a warrior. And you know what? When people tell me you look fit, there's nothing wrong with you. I get angry, man, because you know what? They don't know, and I hate. To, I'm not going to substantiate myself to every human being what I went through. Right. I'm not going to be that guy. I don't have enough time to talk about that. But the reality is, when I get to the point, and well, I that, said, that's always a form of manipulation anyway, where right. someone tries to put you in a position where you have to explain yourself. They're just trying to steal your energy. That's all that is. That's just okay. a psychic vampire mechanism. Or they're, they're projecting because they're like, "Oh, you're just trying to do this to get attention," because they themselves want attention <laughs> right. and they don't know how to do it. Right, so right. they start projecting their insecurities on you. <laughs> man, you was, man, you guys, we we got we we see eye to eye because you know they don't understand. Like you know, to me, like if somebody was to put down and tell me, you know, give me a scenario, like which route you go. Everybody, a lot of people love money. You know what I like uh, for me more? My honor and my legacy means more to me than anybody, anything in the world. That's just the way I am. That that's just the way I am because you know what? When and you've been through stuff, or everybody's been through stuff. But when I go and I look back in retrospect, I go, you know what? I'm not going to sit here and I'm going to I'm going to seize life, man, because I get I got I want to live to 100. People say, what do you want to live to 100 for? I'm like, why not? I'm like, I want to live to 100, maybe 120. What are you kidding? I don't want to die. You know, it's like every day that goes by, you're like, man, I'm alive because there's days, man, I could be in the gym, be in a good mood and all of a sudden start tearing because a song pops on because I listen to inspirational stuff when I work out. And my workouts are intense because that. Well, feeling. what do you listen to? Give us some examples. I can. Li I listen to um, the Gladiator Station, which is basically from the movie Gladiator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's some great I'm music. A, uh, Karate Kid Station, um, and I listen to. It depends. Like if I'm going beast mode, I listen to Slayer. 
that kind of stuff. If I'm jumping rope and boxing and I'm more in a little bit better mood, I listen to dance music because there's patterns in it. And I like right. to dance. And it's like, you know, you think you're like an Ali-esque kind of stuff. Yeah, but right. when I'm in a strength, like the depressing mode, I go into that that stuff that just really pulls out that deep fire to help me push through my workouts. And sometimes, man, I have to turn my head because I might have a, a tear coming out. I had one out coming out today when I was doing my ad wheel because I'm so close. I'm getting so strong. At this exercise, that I'm going to smash the record, and I'm going to. Well, how, how many how many reps do you have to do to smash the record? Five hundred in an hour. And this is standing <laughs> at we hold all yeah, hours, yeah. right? Five hundred in an hour. So yeah, I don't think anybody's grasping total. what you just said. Okay, you're standing well, with this. Well, most people most people can't do one. Can't do five. It's fucking hard. <laughs> you know, in an hour. Oh, forget about five. One. I mean, one I, is difficult standing. You know how like you look at the power to mind. I'm going to give an example. Like pull ups used to be my worst exercise. It's one of my best now because I look at it from a scientific standpoint. You know all this stuff because you deal with nutrition and all this. And I go, you know what? It's science. If I keep doing this exercise over an X amount of time, my body's going to adapt. I'm going to get strong. It's like a stimulus. Your body will overcome. I used to have trouble doing 20 dead hangs. I can do sets of 40 dead hangs sometimes. It's crazy. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, bang, 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 bang. I'm like, oh, my God. The ad wheel is the same thing. One day I went in the gym. I said, all right, it's a numbers game. Everything in the world has to do with numbers and math. I'm like, I need to do 500 an hour. I'm not leaving a gym today until I do 1,000. I did 1,000. I couldn't walk the next day, but I did 1,000. I went to a certain threshold. I doubled it. Now I play with it. I go, you know, I don't max out and do that stuff as much. But that was a that was a mental hurdle for me to go over. I said, don't leave the gym until I do 1,000. I did it like in under two hours. And I did it at a very slow, constricted movement. Now, some days I'll go and I'll do 20, sets of 25. And I'm like, whoop, whoop, whoop. I'm like, oh, my God, it's so easy. People say, they, you make it look so easy. And I go, listen, it's body adaptation. You do something, it becomes like blinking. Just like Bruce Lee said, you know, I don't, I don't fear the man who's kicked uh, 10,000 kicks. I fear the man who's kicked one particular kick 10,000 times because it comes a part of your central nervous system. It's like it just happens. Yeah, there's so, a taming. There's a taming involved with repetitions, right? So, like, let's say the first ten reps may be very difficult. The first five, in particular, like the first time I ever did handstand push-ups, the first couple of reps were hard, and then eventually you hit this point where, bam! All of a sudden, you can just rep out of wow. ten, fifteen. It just starts growing because wow. you get into the groove. You become like a locomotive machine. You start figuring out how to be as efficient as possible. Wow. I mean, like, 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 I said, like when you do the standing ab wheel rollout, I'm guessing your body is fairly relaxed, right? Because a lot of people say tense up as much as possible, which is probably good advice when you're trying to do that first rep. But to do 10 or more, you have to forget all of that tension bullshit and relax through it. Yeah, it's going to yes. become like a punch, man. It's just like you got to relax until you're ready to strike. And, you know, once you make contact, right. that's when you tense up and then you relax again, which tends to be the mantra for almost everything physically. You know, you've got to be in this relaxed state until it's time to do something. Even when it's even when you're defending yourself, you got to be like that. Even in the most stressful time when something's going down, it's not time to clinch up and try to walk around all stiff, you know, and preparing yourself to strike someone or shoot someone, whatever else. You got to get, get that breathing under control, control that body. And then when it's time to strike, just like a snake, a snake is not all stiff the entire time. He's but when he's ready to strike, boom, he strikes and then he calls back like, all right, I'm good. You're dead. <laughs> yeah. well, with strength training, you have to get to the point where you can relax. So the first time you press two heavy kettlebells, you're going to be pretty tense. Yeah. But to get to 10 reps with that same weight, you're going to have to learn how to relax through it. So you have to be strong enough to relax. Like you said one time, Sincere, you want your grip to be so strong that you can relax it. Right. That's a sign of a strong grip with kettlebell sport. Wow. Exactly. You guys you guys are right. My, man, it's crazy because like I find myself when I'm teaching people, you know, people come up to me in the gym and go, 
you know, try to do it and you see the stress and the tension. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because, you know, you see everything. You can see all the muscle fibers. You can see, you know, think, firing. And it's crazy. I'm getting to the level where I can literally just kind of close my eyes and I can actually isolate and tell my body to send this, my, my, mm. my, my mind to send a signal to certain areas to, if I'm starting to compromise form or feel like a little stress in this, like in the core. I don't feel it in the core right away. Because right. I'm so, like you said, I'm relaxed. But then what happens is I might have a little fatigue in the arms. And then I teach myself how to lock my arms without really using – we call it economy. Bruce used to call it economy of motion. You want to be able to do an exercise or throw a punch with such minimal force, but it has so much power and so much velocity. So it's the same principle somewhat I find. Like you're right. When I go down, the first one is kind of like, all right, I got it. And then after the second one, it's literally it feels like I'm just kind of floating. Right. I always call it the I always call it the first date. Like even when I'm training someone, you know, there's that anxiety. You see them all nervous. I say, all right. So go ahead and get that first kiss out of the way or get that first hug or that first dinner. and Get it out of the way. And, and, and that's all this is. That's the first date. And once you get over that, you start to relax and you calm down. You're like, all right. Now you're starting to get to know that person, which now that person is you. And you get to start thinking you get to realize, like, OK, what are my strengths? What do I need to work on? What I need? To, what do I suck at? And how do I make it unsuck? You know, so and, that, and that's the thing. And. And one of the things that I like to do, even just like in kettlebell sport, was like 10 minutes long of doing the same thing over and over. You know, you, you start out the first time you try to do a time set. I mean, just the thought of it, you know, I'm going to sit here and, and snatch a 53 pound iron object or steel object over my head multiple wow. times. You know, eventually you're going to realize like, OK, I got to just to sit and tell someone to relax to do that sounds asinine. Like, how do you relax when you're throwing a heavy weight over your head over and over and over? That doesn't make any sense until you start doing it. And then until you start doing it tensely, you realize, like, okay, I can't continue to do this because if I stay tense, then my arms are going to start getting weak and I'm going to lose control and I'm going to drop that thing on my head, which is just the opposite of what you thought when you were thinking about relaxing with it over your head like that. And so that's what ends up happening. And then eventually you start realizing, okay, I got to become very efficient with this because otherwise I'm not going to make it for 10 minutes. And you end up coaching yourself. And that's the one thing I would tell people, like, learn, listen and learn as much as you can and learn about your body. So while this is happening, you got to coach yourself through it. You got to talk yourself through it. You can start realizing, like, all right, that was a bad rep. You don't have to panic over there. Like, oh, man, I messed up. You just like, all right, correct it on the next one. Then what did you do wrong? You know, you assess it in that millisecond of time that you have to do the rep. Like, okay, what I do wrong? Oh, I shifted a little bit too too much to the left. Or actually, I just wasn't thinking about the rep. I, I started zoning out. And so, you know, no, get back in the game. So it has to be you have to be in the moment, but at the same time, be relaxed in the moment. And also that breathing makes a big part of it, man. I mean, just the whole breathing thing. People underestimate the power of the breath, you know, and how much that has control over whether you succeed or not in anything that you do. Wow. I Wow. Deep. Love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. Did we lose Mike? Oh, sorry. Mike no, I'm, I'm on mute, man. Keep oh, going okay. <laughs> Sorry. No, Cosmo, um, I saw that um, and I saw when I was reading up on you that um, you also help, you know, kids with bullying. You know, that seems to be a big thing now. But and there's also yeah. another part of bullying before we get to that, that I think you know, that we don't hear about as much is that bullying in the workplace <laughs> that or yeah. mobbing, you know, as you call it. Yeah. You know, you know, yeah. and, you know, a lot of people now this is where I think a lot of our listeners are probably going to relate or they've witnessed this before because, you know, you, you have that situation where I mean, we always talk about this all the time, like people have a lot of stress in their life because they, they work at a job that they can't stand. They work with people that they want to probably punch in the throat on a daily basis. And, and sometimes you just have these people who just have it out to get you, especially if you're someone if you're a performer. 
And you pretty much, again, like I said earlier, people like to project their insecurities on you. If you're the person that goes to work and performs well, and, it, and this other person is a lazy ass who sits on Facebook all day while at work, and then, you know, it, but it shows and they get called out for it. If they, instead of them trying to correct what they're doing, they make a point to try to undermine you. And because they think that you're the goody goody or you're the kiss ass or, or the brown noser and all that. And next thing right. you know, they're building up a team against you. You know, so talk about that, man, how you help with that with mobbing. Oh, man. Um, I mean, I, I guess you could say, um, you know, my old company I used to work in, I guess you could, you, I went through, I used to come in and, you know, you come in in a good mood and the manager's getting on you or guys are getting on you because you're doing well and you're performing well. Um, I don't know. I just kind of would just come, just attack, like when I was working, I would just try to fix it and remedy it down. I was the guy who spoke up. So some, I got fired uh, three times from that company and got rehired because I was so good at sales. But the thing is, I was having problems getting along with people. Um, you could say I was the bipolar, but the thing is too, I was speaking up about what was going on in the workplace. You feel me? So, um, but they, they don't like that at all. Any job, no job. A lot of jobs like you have the illusion that they encourage that. We want real honest feedback. And then you provide it all of a sudden when it comes time to fire somebody, you're at the top of that list. I mean, it got to the point where, I mean, I worked in sales and let's be, I mean, it got to the point where certain guys, you know, who kind of maybe still outwrote me a little bit, but some of these guys might outwrote me because they were, if I was off, um, and I hate to say this, but there were guys who would uh, try to steal my sale or steal my sale. And I would have to let this guy take it um, because he was tighter with certain people. Right. And I lost, you know, a thousand dollar commission and I had to bite my lip and I wanted to fight him and choke him out. And but, you know, I'm just funny, but I would speak up and I'm like, it's not his cousin. I hoped him. I did this. Yada. So you, it just felt like. Sometimes my work was taking away from me of all my productivity. I could have even been a better salesman, but there, you know, dealing with the workplace is tough. I mean, I'm not going to bring up this person's name, but I have a friend of mine who works for a major corporation that even deals with sexual harassment on a, on a daily basis and won't say nothing. She said, eh, it's common. I'm like, it's common. I'm sorry. If I'm your husband, I'm speaking up, man. What? What? Who? What? Right, right. What? Shit. Nah. But she, she won't do it. Well, the problem the problem there is that so many women deal with it so often that maybe the first couple times they get really angry. And then all of a sudden it happens so often they just start becoming immune to it in terms of having a sensitive reaction or an, or an authentic reaction. It reminds me of what my dad said about this young lady he met in Rwanda or Uganda where she was she was going to college in America. And every time she went back home to visit her parents in this remote part of the country – there was a strong possibility she was going to get raped by some type of warlord gang or something along those lines. And it, hap it happened so often that she spoke about it the way we would think about getting a flat tire, just an inconvenience. Right. And then, then on the flip side of that, you know, what Cosmo was talking about, you might have these women who are, you know, in today's society now, a lot of the women are the breadwinners now. You know, the dads are at home or the dads are not there at all. So they feel like they're in a situation they got to do what they have to do. They they just suck it up and, and swallow it down and just won't even talk about it and hold their pride down and, you know, or just won't come forward because they don't want to lose that job because, you know, there's this image that there's this the message out there that there are not any jobs out there. So you have people like, well, at least I have a job. And so they'll sit there and just tolerate that stuff because they have to do what they have to do for, you know, for their family and help them survive on the same wow. in, in the same note right there. 
Well, at the so, same time, if you're really good at sales and you work for someone else, you're doing yourself a real disservice because that's right. a skill set that every entrepreneur needs. A lot of entrepreneurs I know suck at sales, and they right. still manage to have an okay business. Right. So if you're really good at sales and promoting yourself, you should put that energy into your own entity, not waste it on someone else's vision. Yeah, but so many people need, you know, they, you know, it's, you know, I always see that, you know, people always have that thing about. What's going on, like just say in underprivileged neighborhoods, like, you know what, you know, drugs and everything else is not, you've, you've got a way out. But the thing is, a lot of times people don't have that example of how, of someone who did that or That's showed right. someone or gave them that belief that they can get out. They just, right. when you say that to them and you're sitting there with your three piece suit on and you're just, you know, go to the boys club because that's just something you have to do as part of your community service and you never see right. these kids again. They're not right. listening to you, man. Right. They're, no they're not believing you. And a lot of times these women may have been around, you know, grew up in a household where women were made to feel like, you know, you just take care of me. You're never going to be worthy of anything. You can never be a leader. I'm the man of the house. Or you'll never be worthy, blah, blah, blah. When, so that's been ingrained in you mentally for most of your life. It's hard. You know, for, you know, you may be good at sales because, yeah, you're constantly trying to prove yourself that you, that you deserve the job, not necessarily that you're equal to the other guys, but that you actually deserve well, to have say that job and not to get fired. And don't even realize that you can also say, screw these guys and go start your own company. You know, but you're so focused on not losing your job and proving that you deserve the job. And that's what ends up happening a lot of times. Well, those are quickly becoming antiquated because a lot more women nowadays don't care about getting married as a way of being provided for. They make their own money. They don't care about having kids as a way of feeling relevant and important. So there's a big shift happening now where more and more women are becoming really entrepreneurial. Just in, even in the fitness business, I can think of a lot more female examples of high success than I can male examples. Wow. Crazy. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So yeah, it's it's one of those things that yeah, so many so many different things, but when it comes down to it, it's a lot of times with what we all, probably all agree with, you know, here's the thing, yeah, having a job is one thing, but you can always remember that your level of success will only be so high when you're working for someone else, you know, yeah. when it's someone else's company, and even for those of us who own our own companies, like you always have to realize on the flip side of that, no one's going to give a damn about your company as much as you do, you That's know, right. but at the same time, you know, there there's when you work for someone else, they care about their whatever they have so much that they'll make sure that they start getting a little paranoid sometimes that they don't want you outshining and feel like, oh, you could take over or do better or break off and and do your own thing and then outdo their company. So they'll make it to where you'll never feel like you could ever be so good that you can move on and do your own thing, yeah. which I think if you're a mentor, that's that's if you're if you're actually like trying to mentor someone. Oh, that's the worst thing you could ever do. You always want whoever it is that you're bringing up to be better than you. That is your goal. And if they don't get better than you, you suck. You know, you're not a mentor. You need to just. Well, let's be honest. You're, you're not going to reach your full potential working for someone else. Just like you're not going to reach your full potential living in your parents' house for the rest <laughs> no. of your life. You know, at some point you have to grow up and move out. So working for someone else is not is is very parallel to living at home with your parents. You're relying on someone else for a paycheck. They decide what you get paid. They decide when you get paid. If you want to take vacation, you have to ask for permission. Come on, you know these these are, these are not emancipation activities, <laughs> right? Right. Unless you come back home to take care of your parents, that's a different story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> but if you're 38 true. and you're living in your parents' basement because you're still, you know, you, you're still trying to come up with that great internet, you know, <laughs> website that's going to make you millions. Uh, you're about 15 years too late. You've got your webcam company in your parents' basement. <laughs> you know? 
No, but I mean, <laughs> like, yeah, some some people are living at home with their parents so long that when they're finally ready to move out, they have to stay because now they have to take care of their parents. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like I'm ready to move out. It's like, well, I need you to stay now, son. You know, I don't want to live in a hole. <laughs> and to um, you know, you know, reiterate what you guys you know talking about. Um, I'm going to be doing public um, um, public speaking on a daily basis now, and that's always been a dream of mine. And um, well, let's I'm, get in, let's get into that. How did you start getting all of this media exposure? Because as you were saying before we started recording, you've been trying to get this message out there for a while, and it's falling on deaf ears. And then all of a sudden, one media entity comes in, and then another comes in, and then the whole thing snowballs, and now you have all these opportunities. I'll be honest with you, man. I'm going to tell you, it's a lot of work. Um, it took a lot of no's, um, and I take no for an answer. And um, I, don't know if, I don't know if you were recording at the time, but we talked about my first one. Um, I'm not going to mention the station or whatever, but I basically was like, I kind of went off. I, that, that's I, the station where you had to sleep with the station owner to get yeah, on. <laughs> uh, but uh, I just in one of those moves and I just, I had the reporter on the phone and I yeah. said, man, if I see another twerking video, I'm going to go crazy. <laughs> I said, I want to be the face of bipolar PTSD. I'm a hundred percent disabled vet. I'm like, and I told my story. He goes, Oh, well, we got to talk to, um, you know, my, um, you know, whatever. I'm like, all right, dude, call him again. And he's like, we're going to do it. And then everything just snowballed from there. But I literally had to like lay in. I was just, I felt like I was just like, I said, listen, man, you're going to hear from me again on another station, whatever. Um, I'm not stopping. I'm like, you need, I basically told him, you need to do my story because I'm tired of this. I want to be like the policeman of all the and fix all the garbage that's going on because you know I try not to watch the news because I get triggered here and there. I, I you know I stay away from politics. Uh, you know all the violence that's going on. I, I just at one point I just feel like I'm like, why can't the world be a better place? Can I at least try to help make it a better place? And then people tell me you always want to change the world. And this and I said, listen, if this, uh, an X amount of percentage thought the way I did, I think the world would be a lot better place. I'm not going to be that guy who's just going to be whining and complaining and falling in with the masses. Right. I'm not going to do that. Right. Not. It's not me. So yeah. now I'll be speaking. I got a message. It was awesome. This is how busy I am. And, you know, I'm just focused on my fighting and trying to stay alive. My buddy, who's my co-partner, he's in Texas. He's a former sniper. Um, and he has PTSD and stuff. So we became friends. And he goes, bro, you checking the emails? I'm like, where? what emails? He's like, on your site. I'm like. I'm too busy. I thought you would check it. He goes, dude, <laughs> Frank Shamrock emailed you and the San Diego State University wants you to keynote speak. Bro, you got to get on. I'm like, I thought you were handling that. Make a long story. I mean, I, I'm so busy that, you know, the last thing I thought it was like, I'm going to get to this point. So now it's snowballed to the point where like, oh my God, I'm going to write my book. I'm going to, you know, like my, my ultimate dream, I'm going to be honest with you, I want to get into movies, but I want to be that guy. Like a like a hero. I want to be a hero. If somebody said, "Hey, man, you're going to be in Avengers three or whatever it is," make me some character that coincides with my demeanor, because I would be good at it. Right. Not that I want to be a Hollywood movie star, but it's about me passing on my message through that. Because you can you can you can you can hit the whole world on that level. Like yeah. my favorite guys is The Rock. I don't think I've seen one derogatory article on that man he's just a great person i said one day i'm gonna be in a gym working out with that dude him and brandon marshall from the jets because i'm a diehard jet fan brandon marshall represents um mental health 375.org and i'm like i don't even have to talk i said i just want to work out when to be around him and go beast mode in the gym that's it that's all i care about yeah. my mission i want to be heard whatever it takes rogers respect man he just because he grinds so much even no even doubt. at the point now that he's one of the top paid 
actors in Hollywood. He still yeah. grinds. And the yeah. thing is, he's still out there. He's, he's just not so self-absorbed like, hey, you know, selfie, selfie, selfie. It's just like he's, he's steady right. putting out messages every day. You know, you know, like get up, grind, get, go, take care of your body, take care of your mind. Don't use any excuses. Like, look, man, I came out here with seven bucks, you know, and, and he, he didn't have to. You know, he's a guy that didn't really have to grind because, you know, here's a second generation wrestler. He could have easily used both sides of his family to get in the business and make it. But he didn't he didn't choose that route. And I think his dad played a big part. And I was like, no, I'm not going to give you the easy way out. You're going to start from the bottom and work your way up. And you're not going to just get in because I'm working for WWE or your family is these famous Samoans who have had like three generations of legacy, you know, in this company or whatever. But at the same time, you are not going to be able to wrestle forever. So you also need to take your butt to school. You need to do this and you need to prepare yourself. What happens after you leave the ring? And I think that was a good start for him, you know, and and he and he, didn't, he never left those values or whatever. And he still throws it out there to everybody. Yeah, he's, he's a the, relatable guy. Also, he's not super duper right. Hollywood. He's a guy like guys like us can relate to. Whereas half the people how we're like, God, what a douche. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> Now he was on the most recent UFC podcast with Matt Sarah. Really cool guy. And he talks about how he still wakes up at four in the morning does, to get man. his workouts in. Yeah. But he's, he's on a movie set. He has to be there at seven. So he wakes up at wakes up at four, yep. checks his email, gets his workout in before he goes to the set. Yeah, he'll That's film it. Pretty he on Instagram every morning. You know, there he is doing his workout. And he has an app that, you know, has other people waking up with him, you know, and getting up there and grinding. Well, I, I can say one thing for that Fast and the Furious movie. He should have slept in a couple hours because <laughs> he was he was so big in that movie. Oh, I know. His arms <laughs> looked like they're, it's like, I'm do like, you really have to man. be that big? You got you got veins that go from your bicep to yeah. your head i'm like you're like, not a regular cop connected. dude okay <laughs> so i'm like you're in the wrong movie you should be in the next avengers movie okay you're you you're missing like your three college. fbi agents in one person all right you don't have to I'm be like, that I've, I've seen fbi agents they don't look like that yeah. <laughs> you know uh, you mentioned matt sarah doing a podcast what's funny is uh yeah. when i won pan ams which is a real big and one of us one of the second major biggest major tournament uh it's nogi yeah. uh, and he walks by me because, you know, you you got legends walking around at these high-level IBGF tournaments. Right. And he sees me in my mental and go, what's up, man? And, I, you know me, I, I well, you don't know me, so I just go up to him and go, dude, I'm like, you look so much bigger on TV. And he goes, get over here. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, you know, he, he's, he's, he's like stout. He's like a pit bull. He's just like, you know, I'm right. tall. Man. So I go, can we take a picture? Come on, man, let's take a picture. So he holds the medal and he goes, he goes, wait a minute. He goes, we got to pummel for this. Pummeling is what it's like a wrestling thing where you go for the underhooks. And we pummeled for like 30 seconds and then we took the video. It was, it was just great, man. Like, I just, I just went to him. He looked at me like, this guy. I'm like, you look bigger on TV. Like, I just, <laughs> you know, because my endorphins are going, I just won. You're on top of the world. I'm like, bro, what's up, man? And I'm like, man, what's up? And he just sm- gave me this look like, man, this guy. <laughs> You, you, you know you're excited when your voice goes that high. Yeah, yeah, I, I do. You change your voice, you get all like, like you know, I, I do that a lot. And I think that's how I sold a lot because, like, when you're dealing with, I uh, give an example. When I used to sell, and the family comes in, you're dealing with an affluent uh, family, right. and I never forget the husband goes exactly like this verbatim. He gets behind his wife and he's looking at me and he's going, he goes, Cosmo, tell my wife why we need those huge speakers, and I put on my mickey mouse voice and i'm like well when you're listening to sound you know and i, I basically what i did is i explained it to her she went oh i get it okay we'll take them <laughs> it was just funny but i just turned <laughs> my my inflection it was an inflection in my voice i just literally i'm like hey i'm mr speaker like and she just started laughing but that's how you sell i conformed to what 
because you know it was, it was trying to keep it in layman's terms and all that technical jargon, and that's how I did it because I had an emotion. Oh, that's it's better than going into a creepy voice. Like, let me yeah. tell you, let me tell you something about the speakers. I guess that voice you use is more like okay, it would be if she came home and the kids just came home from school. Well, what did you do today <laughs> at school? And you know, and so the kids are just explaining, they're excited, but you know, they have that voice inflection about the same tone that you were using. But the yeah. way they're explaining, it just shows like, oh my god, they're so interested in it. Makes the parents interested in whatever you know the mother's interested in what they're doing so you kind of get down to that child level for her you know so if she kind of pulls out the, the nurturing part of her and so that trust me that dude knew what he was doing that's why he got behind her he's like yeah yeah he's like uh, was, yeah cosmo do that thing you do yeah it was it was great and you know what it's you're not really pushing you just you just you're like you're being real i'm like and you, you she's giving you this look like i just like i know i'm not going to get this jargon what it's made out of it's this and that because that's all she's you know she's a mom and I kept it simple, stupid, and I just put it on a very funny scale and changed my voice. It's not obvious. Social humor does work. <laughs> yeah, it works, man. And you know what? To me, it wasn't selling because I was giving stuff or helping them attain what I would want in my own home. And I had different methods to help them get there to understand that. Because you are taking their money, and everything is predicated on money because you have to buy. I never – I mean it's deep. I mean train, sales training is very deep. You never want to use the term buy or contract because that signifies, you know, oh my god, I'm signing a contract. I would just use different methods. Well, I, I think the good rule of thumb is you don't want to try to sell something that you don't use personally and enjoy. Right. Right. And that's gonna get them excited as well. Right. Like, wow. And they can see they can tell when something you're, you're organically excited about something compared to being a fake salesman who's just trying yeah. to sell something. It's like, even my even my jujitsu instructor, like it parlays into everything. When I come here, they the VA interviewed him and they said, Well, what's it like? He goes, Whew, Cosmo <laughs> is he goes he goes, Whew, Cosmo is a cappuccino and a cup of coffee. He is when he comes in, it's like, okay, Cosmo's here. Like, but he says it's a good thing because some days he's saying, you know, because he trains six days a week and doubles and, you know, he's younger, but, you know, it's a very taxing sport. And when you have a business and you got to be on point, you're training with these, these up and coming champions and stuff. And you, you're a black belt. You got to represent. And sometimes you're fatigued and you're sore. And when I come in, he's just like, you know, I give him that extra little, wouldn't necessarily boost, but it's kind of like, wow, he, I feel good, you know, like, and that's great. And he's like, it's, a, it's and the thing is, I think one well, reason why I like that is because you've seen so much and you've been through so much and you just want to make people laugh and getting back to the comedians, your Robin Williams of the world and stuff like that. You look back and you go, I can't believe this, this person, you know, took his own life. He had everything, but it's not about everything. I mean, he was fighting his demons, but his, he was really good at making people laugh and he's gone. Right. And I don't want to be that. You know, because I have those moments. I'm not going to lie. And um, if I don't stay busy and feel like I'm – and I hate to say I want to be somebody, but if I'm not accomplishing feats, then I have that time where I can fall into a rut and I just don't want to do that. I got to keep busy. I have to. Right. Yeah. And it's just that's, – that's what I got to do. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Well, I always say maintenance is an illusion. You're either progressing or you're regressing. And for right. regressing, that's depressing. No one's excited about regressing, but you get excited about progressing. Right. And, um, you know, you get a little bit older. And, like, when I found your products, I'm like, man, I'm like, oh, I'm in 44, 43 years old. Holy crap. Like, I'm like, well, eventually my test level is going to drop. And I'm like, I don't do steroids. I would never. I'm like, I want to live a long, vibrant life, good, healthy exercise. And if there's other natural means to sustain 
or maybe even slight increase, and you know, then I'm all about that. And um, you know, I don't take medication um, for the bipolar because it made me a zombie. And there's other, I mean, the bottle. I never forget looking at the bottle. I'm like, oh my god, the whole objective is for me to stay alive. But the bottle says if I, I can have suicidal ideation. I'm like, yeah. Oh, I, mean, I, I see those commercials. What? I'm like. What? Yeah. It's like, you know, Mike calls suicidal thoughts. I'm like, okay, this is the last person you want to have suicidal thoughts. This is stupid. What are, what are you talking about? You yeah, know, it's gonna make I can understand feel, why so many don't want to be on medication, man. You know, when you say things like that, when you see this list of side effects, I'm like, wait a minute, the first thing out of your mouth is suicidal thoughts? I thought that was the whole point of taking this medication so I don't have suicidal thoughts. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and what's, you know what's great, man, too? I'm going to kind of uh, change a little direction. The the VA, what I love about the VA now is um, they're trying to focus on uh, pot, you know, finding alternative means, I guess you can say, yeah. with uh, yeah. rehabilitation. So they took my story because they see me like, well, they know me. Um, they know I was hospitalized. They, you know, they, they know me and they go, wow, you know, he's doing it. It's tough. He's, but the counseling is helping. Maybe there'll be a couple of, you know, some other vets out there who can maybe follow his lead. Cause I'll be honest, I don't know if a lot of people can do it because jujitsu has such a high attrition rate. Uh, if I told somebody who's going to train with me, cause I'm close to my brown belt when I earn my black, I say, listen, you know, it could take eight to 10 years to get your black belt. And if you're not competing most, that's as long as it takes to be a doctor. Um, but what they're really trying to focus on is not just PTSD and mental health that has to do with combat. They're, they're actually bringing up the hush-hush stuff, which is great, you know, because my story is different. I, you know, I went through – I was in trouble a lot. I mean, I never I – I got an honorable discharge. I got a Navy Achievement Medal, Meritorious Mass, Letters of Commendation towards the end, you know, because I was trying my hardest, and they saw that. Um, but they did an article. I, I'm not going to mention the person's name. I mean, it did go viral. It's on their site. But uh, a, a man who was raped by um, another man, and he's disabled because you know his life is completely changed. He has PTSD because of that. What went on? And I'm seeing the VA actually, you know, get better um, and starting to focus on other things. You know, because PTSD comes in many forms. Um, and what's good is, I guess you could say, I'm almost kind of like the first person within the confines of the VA uh, um, that has bipolar and doing this stuff. Um, this, I don't know how many vets statistically have bipolar, um, but a lot of them are housebound that I've seen, which means they actually have to have um, a nurse with them and stuff. And I haven't reached that point. Uh, I'm one threshold under that, according to the VA. Um, so like I said, I will do everything in my power, you know, um, to try to eliminate that. But like I said, when you have something that you can't control, they could, who knows, it could escalate later on. But according to the doctors, because I'm in my 40s, I should be fine. Because um, they always ask me if I'm hearing voices because my father was schizophrenic and I don't hear voices. And I'm grateful and thankful for that because, you know, my father hung himself. And, um, you know, I, I think about it and go, wow, I've reached low, but I haven't actually attempted. I mean, I just had the serious thoughts and the crying and the feeling low. But to do that, he was really, really sick. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy that I haven't gotten to that, which I should be fine. I don't think I'll get to that point. Um, I just got to take one day at a time. Yeah, yeah. yeah when you I mean when you get to that point, it's because you feel there aren't any other options at all. Right. So, right. so the key is make sure that you feel there are other options. And if you even feel yourself steering a little bit in that, that direction, you have to wheel it in and figure out why. Right. And I think it really and helps to have some type of support system, man. You know, no doubt. With that instead. I, no one should have to deal with any of that stuff alone, you know, so. 
What's your take? Do you guys, do you feel that, I'll tell you, I mean, I I really feel that the stigma with mental health. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's huge. It's huge. I mean, coming from I've had on both sides, whereas, like I I said earlier in the show, you know, I've seen it in my family. Um, My wife, you know, she dealt with it. Her brother committed suicide as well. You know, and so. These stories are very familiar to me. And a lot of times the stigma comes from people who don't understand and never really had to deal with the situation, not just personally, not just with themselves, but with someone close to them and really understand. A lot of people love to speak about what they have no effing idea what they're talking about. You know, and they like to assume or go by what they saw. They see on the meet, you know, on the news or something like that. I'm like, look, man, the news is looking for a new story and they'll make right. anything look dramatic. So it can keep you interested in watching the story. But most right. of the time it's not based on facts. That's why they're constantly they can talk about one subject and each month find a new study that goes one way or the other on that same subject. Nothing's ever this absolute thing because they just look for news and something sensational to keep your attention. My thing right. is, have you ever sat down and talked to someone who's had to deal with these issues and just like really heard their story. You know, like Mike and I always talk about people when they talk about homeless people and like, oh man, why don't he just get a job or why didn't he get help from his family? Well, did, do you even know if he has family? Did you talk to him? Did you ask him any questions? Or you just made an assumption. So, you know, a lot of times, man, if people really want to understand it. Like I said, talk to someone who's dealing with it, man. Go to, you know, go to the VA. You know, I mean, come on, go to the VA. Talk to some vets there, man. Drop off some DVDs or something like that. These guys are who's stuck in there. They need stuff to do. So it's a good time to talk. You know, if you're feeling like your life is crap, you're like Mike and I always say, go to the children's hospital. Hang out with those kids, man. And then realize your life is not as bad as you think it is. You know, these people going through some real stuff over there. But guess what? By you taking the time and showing them some attention and, and just showing interest in what's going on with them, not only are you helping yourself, you're helping them as well. So it's a win-win situation for everybody. That's what right. I feel about it. So I don't, I don't, I don't make any judgments, man, because like I said, I see it too much. And like I said, you know, I know I got my sleeping giant that, that could be awakened. Anything could trigger that, you know. But my thing is to, like you said, you know, I, I keep myself busy and doing things, man, and having goals and having stuff going on to where I don't give that beast, I don't give it the fuel to wake up. You know, it needs to stay in hibernation. You know, it, it needs to, it needs to never know that it's not winter. Okay. It needs to always be in that cave. Because who knows? And I think, and people don't want to admit it, but everybody's got that switch. Everyone has it. Everybody has that potential to hit that switch, and then boom. And next thing you know, like I don't even know what where that came from. I had that. I had that um, switch uh, about maybe. Oh man, was that's about thirteen years ago now. Well, I had a I had an issue with a. He probably won't listen to the podcast. I don't really talk him too much anyway. But uh, I I served with a prime marine friend of mine. Um, and we lived together for a little bit and one day, I don't know what happened. He said something, I got triggered and next, you know, all you hear is meat packing sounds. I laid him out in the living room. I went back and ate my food. I'm looking at my shirt. I had my shirt ripped off, scratches and blood on my body. His family kicked me out of the house. Um, that's when, you know, I was before I actually became fully disabled. So, you know, but, and then I got my own apartment, but that one incident, you know, I look back and go, that's when that beast came out. And I don't want to be, I don't want that to come out, man. That was, that's horrible. What I, what I did was horrible. But, you know, I, I just don't know. I don't remember how I, all I remember is I just ran in the living room and, and then, you know, he's out and he was out in the living room. And I went back and sat down and ate. Like, I was like, was that a psychotic moment? Like, how can you sit down and finish eating your meal? I just went back to eat my meal and I'm, I got up and look. And then next to my phone's blowing up. His parents are going to call the police. And this and that, and I'm like, I will never do that again. We have a good relationship now, but I could never get 
that back because of what I did. Right. Um, and now that I'm public with my stuff, you know, they have to understand that it's, I don't want to use the term I'm just like, it's disability, but it's technically a disability and I'm just disabled from it. But it's like something wrong with your extremity or your arm or your leg. It's just the brain, whatever the brain, the brain is responsible for running your whole body. Right. I mean, you know, we don't know much about it, but you know, if we don't have a brain, you can't speak, you can't walk, you can't do anything. So my mission is just to hopefully have everybody go, you know what? Mental health is serious. It's not a joke. And, um, it's got to be taken seriously because it is. Yeah. Like you said, you know, earlier, you know, deep down inside, all of us have, we forget that we're animals, you know, we're just a more evolved animals, you know, at least on paper, you know, a lot of stuff that we do these days and what we're doing to the environment, whatever you makes that questionable, but on paper, you know, we're the most evolved animals, but at the end of the day, that is at the core of who we are. So a lot of times, you know, you still have those animal instincts, you know, animals sometimes go into that defensive mode and they attack, yep. you know, they defend and then they go back to, they go back to their day. You know, they don't sit there and harp on it. You know, you don't see a lion just sitting there just harping, you know, looking at an antelope like, yeah, got you. Now what? You know, yeah. it's just like, OK, I had to eat, you know, yeah, or, you know, some hyenas were trying to attack him. And he realized, like, oh, I can actually take out two of them. He takes out two. He's not sitting there trying to hang around, wait for the rest of them. He's kind of like, all right, let me just get on back to my pride now before these other hyenas show up, you know, and they go back to their way. And a lot of times we have that. You ne- People just don't want to admit it because we like to think that we're so evolved that, no, we'd never do that. We don't know what we do because, like you said, man, there's a lot about the brain we don't understand. We think we do, but there's just so many things going on with the brain, man, and it's this complex thing going on in our head. It's just like a computer, man. It's a CPU that, I mean, just like with our computers, you know, we can sit there and think about all this other stuff, but every now and then the best we can do is just defrag, you know, and try to keep it as clear of all type of viruses or whatever else and, you know, not put too much on it or whatever, man, best possible. Just to uh, reiterate, like, uh, there's a friend of mine. His name's Chad Robocho. Uh, he's a former Bellator uh, world champion, mm-hmm. uh, and he's a second-degree black belt. And when he was teaching us, we did a class. I went out to this place called the Mighty Oaks. It's for uh, – it's mostly Marines, uh, but it's for veterans with PTSD and stuff. And what's beautiful is they took me in because my PTSD is non-combat related, and I still love my story. PTSD is PTSD. Right. But he said, he explained it. He's like – he used the arm bar and all, you know, I'm sure you know what an arm bar is. It's like, you know, you hyperextend the arm. You can break the arm if you don't tap, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. He's like, well, when you get caught in that and you don't tap quick and you get hurt, he goes, because that one incident happened, he goes, your defense would be exponentially better than somebody training the arm bar without the full submission because you got hurt and your body knows don't go there again. Right. So when you talk about the defense mechanism, you're saying like, you know, you, you react because you don't want to get hurt. Then you can go back to your normal activity, yeah. which is that's what you know what PTSD. When he said that, I said, "Wow!" I'm like, that makes sense because I don't get armbarred as much anymore because when he armbarred me, it hurt, and I, you know, I thought he hyperextended my arm, and um, that ain't happening again. <laughs> so yeah, trust me, I, I feel you. We were just talking about that, that a couple episodes ago, you know, with a fight hypnotist, and you know, I had an issue with someone armbarring me. And it's just funny. It's like that's one of those things. Even even just getting into the shooting sports. You know, I make a habit. I'm not the person that extends my arm all the way out when I'm holding my pistol, you know, because I think about that, you know, especially if you're in close quarter combat situations. I don't want my arm my way out there where you can. I'm at a disadvantage at that point, you know, so I kind of keep it a little close to my body. So therefore, I can have a little bit more options, have more options to protect myself, you know, and it's funny. And I was thinking about that a couple of weeks ago, even when I went to the range that, you know, I, I still feel like a lot of that has to do with that day, you know, that in that, in that dojo. 
in that situation, I had to deal with this guy, you know, with an arm bar and I tapped and he kept on applying the hold, you know, to the point where I was like, you know, it took everything in my power not to kick this dude in the freaking face, you know, from where I, you know, from that vantage point. But again, it's just like, okay, nah, never again. I'll probably do everything in my power. If anybody ever grabs my arm, I don't know, wow. man. Again, talking about that switch, I don't know what'll come out of me if someone were to try that. So just because, you know, again, got a little PTSD from that situation, you know, because I remember that my elbow was jacked up for almost a year after that happened. And I was competing in kettlebell sport and that messed with a lot of my competitions after that. You know, it took a while for my elbow to heal and trying to lock out. A, you know, kettlebell above head, and you really can't lock out because your elbow's jacked up. You know, well, I'm at that. I'm at that point right now, brother. Uh, I'm just saying, like, uh, my right arm from doing muscle ups and putting too much time. I think I developed tendonitis, and I can't bend my right arm yeah. fully. Yeah. Uh, and some days when I go to jujitsu and guys arm drag me or do whatever, I have to tell them and say, "Look, man, I'm tapping." They're like, "You tapped?" I'm like, "I'm like, my arm is is killing me. It's rocked. It's getting better." Yeah. And I think I, I well, that that could that could be a couple of things. One, you could you might need a scope where they just go in there and get rid of debris and all that that are inhibiting that motion. Or you may have what I have. I have severe arthritis in my left elbow from oh. some kind some kind of injury. I don't I don't know exactly, or maybe a combination of of many injuries. So basically, at that point. You just have to deal with it as much as possible. You, you can take certain supplements. There's one called Cartilast, which helps get more space between the bones in there. Because mine's basically bone on bone, so that the cartilage is basically gone. So it's just bone on bone rubbing against each other. So I'm trying to get more space in there. It's a product called Cartilast that's really good. And then there's Cetyl Meristole. My product, Restorazyme, is really good at mitigating inflammation. It's more managing the pain rather than trying to get that full range of motion back because that's going to be highly unlikely. But if I can manage the pain, then it, then it doesn't inhibit anything I like to do. Wow. Okay. I got you. I appreciate it. Like I said, your products are great, man. So uh, I'm um, done with uh, – I only did like a month. I did a month of the um, testosterone boost or whatever. So um, I'm probably going to get another one again soon. You know. Yeah, your, your balls got so big, you had to switch to me undies. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, man. It's funny. <laughs> My first time stuff about a year ago. You know? And I did the, 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 you know, I followed the protocol. I'm 165 yeah. pounds. I did too. And when you said, <laughs> I was like, holy shit. I'm like, they're fucking huge, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not joking around when I say your balls get bigger. Oh, no. I remember, I was like, I, I remember telling myself, hey, man, are your balls supposed to like get bigger from taking this, man? Cause I'm just making sure nothing's wrong with me. And, and let's just, let me see if it's the T booster first before I start calling my doctor. Like, hey, man. All right. Check it out. My testicles, are, they're growing. There's, I don't know. And he's like, that's a problem. I, I can't tell you how many emails I've gotten from people talking about their balls getting bigger. I was like, that's great, buddy. I'm glad your balls feel better. But you know what? It's loud because you know you. Know, I don't see photos, Mike. That's all like, hey, Yeah, yeah, exactly. Is this well, that, that that's a sign that it's an effective natural testosterone booster because your balls signal your brain to make. I mean, your brain rather signals your balls to make more testosterone. Right. So, in essence, you should have bigger balls if you're making more oh. testosterone. Oh my god! The concentration of cholesterol. The balls and converts it into testosterone. There you go. Wow, nuts, crazy. Well, I'm probably gonna yeah, nuts being the offer to work. No pun intended. <laughs> so, um, well, great, man. It's been awesome having you on. Where, where can people find out more about everything you're doing? Uh, well, um, I guess you could say. I mean, I'm a big Twitter and social uh, Facebook guy. Um, okay. My site we update periodically, but you know, the site's kind of just let people know that. 
I hate to say I'm the real deal, but like I'm legit. Like, you know, if they want my contact. Now I'm, I'm monitor the email a lot more, you know, because, you know, when you're fighting every day and training, some days I come home, I, I got my dog. I just, I'm, I, I can't even move. I'm like Rocky. And she goes, he goes, can you just leave me alone? Uh, you know, you know that, that, that's how I get. Like, I'm like, I'm like, I got ice on my arm. Um, but now the sleeping giant is awoken in a good way because now I have an opportunity to really, uh, and I use the term infect. It's, I know it's a derog- it's a negative term, but infect because it's hard to get away, um, you know, to, 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 to get rid of it. Um, I'm going to, the public speaking is going to be my major thing now. Um, cause you know, I want to just do jujitsu and earn my black belt. Um, but I want to kind of slowly compete a little bit less because, you know, it's time consuming, costs money. I don't get paid for them. I have to pay for all those trips. Um, and also, you know, I'm getting to the age where I want to enjoy some of that free time, you know, cause I cross train and I'm traveling more. So this is an opportunity. I'm so I'm slowly changing, uh, lanes, uh, to the public speaking realm, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, to me, those are the major, the three major tools that I love to use. The site will be updated here and there, um, and that's that's pretty much it. You know, uh, people are finding me relatively easy. San Diego State had to send me a message on Instagram because I didn't respond. They're like, we had to Google you. We saw your stuff, and they they sent me a personal mention on Instagram. I'm like, holy crap, this is great, man. I'm like, I'm gonna get to speak, and they're actually open. I want to be different. I'm actually gonna do a demo and interact. With people in the mental health, uh, I guess you could say, that have mental health issues at the university and actually get them involved in jiu-jitsu and be a hands-on kind of guy. That's great, man. Appreciate it. Well, we keep keep up all the great work, and we'll let you know when this episode is out. But great talking to you, man. It was awesome. All right, brother. Enjoy your day. All right. You have a great one. Take care, Robert. Peace out. Take care, man. All right, folks, you know the deal. At this point, you can use that coupon code LLA. Go get 10% off everything you see at MikeMahler.com. Join Robert in getting the testosterone booster. Some of you guys probably need to increase the size of your balls. So you can start <laughs> so you can, you can start off. Some of you are like, well, I already bought the tiger nuts. <laughs> but like, you're well, no that, tiger, that's, man. <laughs> that's probably not enough. All right? Go and get aggressive strength for the ultimate in nuts. <laughs> Be all you can be with aggressive straight. There you go. Use that coupon code LLA, get 10% off. And how about with you, man? Yeah, same thing, man. So head over to newwarriortraining.com. Use that same coupon code, 10% off everything you see over there. And like I said, that's all you need to do, man. And otherwise, go to patreon.com slash LLA podcast. And you can become a monthly supporter of the show, really a supporter of the show, by going to that. And uh, we appreciate that, especially all our Patreon supporters out there. And, you know, guys like Kev. Over in the UK, who gave us that Patreon bump? You know, the Patreon bump is when someone's been supporting us through Patreon, and they decide, you know what? I, I, I can give a little more. I really enjoy this content. Why not bump it up a little bit more and make my monthly donation a little bit more? So, hey man, join Kevin. Use that Patreon bump, man. And yeah, as we get ready to head into the subscription side of things coming up in a couple of months, so it just kind of make things a lot better. So yeah, there you go. All right. Sounds good, everyone. We'll see you next time. Catch you next time, folks.